0: We are. We're talking about Simply Friendship today, part of our new Simply Christmas series. Uh, Great to just see some old King's friends back here, James and uh, uh, Luke and and Katie. Just so great to see you guys. There's probably others here as well. But uh, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 1. And the idea is you might think, well, it's it's November, for goodness sake. Why on earth are we talking about Christmas in November? And the idea is Christmas can be an intensely pressurised time where often we lose sight of the main things as human beings. So therefore, by tackling some of these subjects ahead of the curve, we're kind of, it gives you a chance to do something about it. And my hope is that this morning, as a result of what we look at and what we talk about, you'll do something different as a result this morning and each of these weeks as we look at these themes of Christmas. So we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, And we're reading from a well known Christmas passage. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I just want one other scripture to come up. Proverbs 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I don't know if you've uh, sorted out your Christmas TV viewing yet for this year. If you're a little bit traditional like me, you might be getting your copy of the TV Times or the Radio Times and going through it with a red marker pen and just circling those things on which you're going to base your Christmas around. All the timings of everything is going to be based on the viewings. If you're a bit more modern, then perhaps you'll just think, no, I'll just download it on Netflix later. But All of us have those. On TV at this time of year, we get those reruns of films that we like to watch. Do you know those kind of films? And we all know the difference between a good film and a bad film, don't we? Because there are certain films, I'm a bit of an expert on kids' TV films because I seem to have seen most of them with all of our kids being the ages they're at. And there are some where within five minutes of having seen it for the first time, I'm just desperate to leave the cinema. The Lorax, have you ever seen that? awful film. I just, I, was just, I, I just couldn't wait for it to end. There's some that have been uh, vetoed by the family. So uh, I remember when a few years ago when uh, Sam must have been about five and we bought the, the DVD of Tangled, the, the retelling of Rapunzel. You know that, that story? And we saw it the first time and then I went to put it on a second time one day and, and Sam just burst into tears and he said, no, it's just a story about a girl with long hair. We never got to watch that one again. But we, we have favorites, and, and there's one particular favorite. Every time it's on the telly, I think, I just, I just want to watch this. Play, play the music, see if you can guess what it is. you know what it is yet? You know the one. Um, Toy story. Toy story. In fact, I'm not the only one, am I, to, know, to think that Toy Story is a great film, because actually it's probably the, the highest grossing film series that Pixar have ever made. In fact, it's 20 years old this week. And uh, yeah, which some of you are feeling really old right now, aren't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> there was me thinking this was a really modern illustration, and then I kind of looked at how old this film was. 20 years, my goodness. But this story is all about friendship. And the thing I love about it, unlike many other films, which are just shallow and circular and the characters are very two-dimensional, this film has real depth to it. And it produces emotional responses, even in grown men. And the story, if you don't know it, is the story of this cowboy, Woody. And it's at the start of the series, he, he's basically the favourite toy of a boy called Andy, And Andy takes him everywhere. He sleeps with him. He takes him anywhere that Andy goes, Woody goes too. They're best of friends. And it's a strange relationship because the boy doesn't realize that that Woody actually has real emotions and is a real person. Whenever he's not looking, he actually comes to life. But then the unthinkable happens that for one of uh, the boy's birthdays, he gets given a new toy called Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz becomes the new favorite. And Woody gets pushed aside. He becomes second best. And that film is all about the complexity of, well, I thought I was that best friend, and now he seems to be the best friend. And it produces a, a, a horrible rivalry, an insecurity and jealousy in that main character, Woody. And that film is all about him basically trying to get his old relationship back with Andy. And... In that final film, if you've seen it, something quite remarkable has happened for you as the viewer, which is that how the story begins isn't how the story ends, in that these two people who are arch enemies at the start, Woody and Buzz, by the end have become friends through having to survive situations together, from both getting separated and and being brought back together. And by the end of the film, they find themselves in a in a rubbish dump and they're on a conveyor belt heading for a furnace and all these toys are there holding hands together without hope and they're heading for the furnace. And if you're like me in the cinema, you're thinking, no, don't let it happen. <laughs> <laughs> you thought, What's going on? It's a cartoon. These are toys. <laughs> And yet, something has connected for me emotionally that I don't want to lose what is so precious in this film. That is this, that I've seen these relationships be invested. I've seen how hard it's been to get to this point for them, and I don't want it to stop here. And that's by far the most emotional bit of the film. At the end of the film, the other sad bit is this, that it's where the boy, Andy, he finally gives all his toys away. And the realisation that some friendships change. Some things change in life. But in that process, other things happen and we gain friends along that way. Where the story begins is not where it ends. Friendship is complex. I don't know if you look at your life. If I look at mine, I look back to my childhood friends. And I remember when I was about eight years old, I, uh, I had a gang. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I lived in middle-class Worthing in Sussex. And uh, I remember we, we formed a gang after school one day. There was me, there was Chris London, there was Martin Kazebo, there was Graham Carner, And we used to hang out eating ice creams on street corners. <laughs> and uh, I remember we voted one day to allow a new person into our gang. We were that cool. Anthony Boffy, he joined. And I kind of thought, if, at that moment, I thought, you know what, I, I bet I'll stick with these guys forever. We'll, we'll just hang out. Yet, those friendships didn't make it into adult life, they were childhood friendships. And yet I discovered other friends along the way, people who I met later in life, at university or at high school and and, and even later in even more recent years where I think, gosh, I just really like them and I, I find great joy in that relationship. Friendship is a complex thing, where the story begins isn't where it ends, perhaps here today to you know to be a Christian is to be in relationship with God it's to be a friend of God and perhaps your assumption if you're here today visiting is that you've thought well kind of yeah some people are born that way they're, they're born with church kind of and Christian family and and I can see where it goes for them but you know the wonderful thing about friendship with God is how it begins isn't necessarily how it ends that you can be from a background that has no God involved at all and yet you can find yourself being brought into relationship with him. And this morning, I just want us to look briefly at the Christmas story that we read and and some stories around it to see some of the qualities of great friendship. So here's the first one. True friendship initiates. You know, the Christmas story is fundamentally a story about friendship. It's about God's friendship to a world that wasn't being particularly friendly towards him. And what you find about the God of the Bible is that he makes the first move. And in any great friendship, it requires initiation. When you look at your own friendships, you will probably track that back and you think, actually, this person I'm friends with, one of us did something first. Or the reason we're still friends is this, that... One of us suggested something the other week, or the other month, or the other year, and that's why we we did that activity. Friendship requires initiative, and God sends his son into the world. You find a virgin by the name of Mary, and she finds herself to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, because God is sending his son into the world. Nobody was particularly expecting that or thinking about that, let alone Mary or Joseph, Yet yeah, they find themselves at the receiving end of God's initiative. The Apostle John summarized it this way. He said, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. The word, everything that God wants to say to the human race in a human being, the word, Jesus, became flesh and blood, took on humanity, and he moved into the neighborhood. Do you know... Most of us can get a 10 10 minute appointment at the GP surgery if you're willing to wait for it. If you're willing to pay money, you can get any length of time you like with a paid professional to talk about something. But there's not many people you'll meet in this life who will move into your home to sort out your mess. Yet Jesus is that person, He's that kind of friend true friendship makes the first move god moves into our mess here's the second quality of true friendship that we see in the christmas story that true friendship includes and you find straight away that joseph and mary they get included in this amazing plan that they knew nothing about the story i most love reading about at christmas is the story of some shepherds on a hillside you know the one While shepherds watch the flocks by, all that one. Um, And and they're there just on a hillside one day, and an angel of the Lord appears to them and says, A Savior has been born, Christ the Lord in Bethlehem, and you're invited. And they go and find him. They go and find him. Now, shepherds, they, they were the lowest social grouping of society. They were the ones who didn't really get invited to many parties. In fact, shepherd wasn't the career choice that you wanted your child to aspire to on the whole. It was what you ended up doing when no other career options were available. What would that job be today? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to ask you to say that. Um, <laughs> of course, we all have that category in our head. Yeah, it's that thing. It's that thing, isn't it? Well, God goes. To that group of people and he says you know what? i'm throwing a birthday party and i was wondering if you'd like to come the message of christmas is a story of friendship inclusion do you know it's powerful when you include somebody i want to encourage you to include somebody in your life this christmas that perhaps wouldn't be in that Uh, Last uh, weekend, we had a birthday party for my son, Ben. He was five years old and really happy to be five, and he he really wanted us to throw a party and invite all his class along, which I was less excited about, but I thought, okay, let's go with this. Mm -hmm. So we hired the the side hall next door, and and I'm a bit of a misery when it comes to parties, if I'm honest. You know, Julia's the party organiser. She likes that kind of thing, and and, uh, so she sent out the invite to all his classmates. And... For each one that responded saying, yes, they were coming, Julie and Ben were like, yes. For each one that said, no, I can't make it, I was like, yes. (laughs) I thought if we can whittle this down to about 10 kids, that's quite manageable. I'll be quite happy with that. You know, how many kids do you need to celebrate a birthday, for goodness sake? 10 is fine. But 23 responded, saying, yes, they were coming. I thought, oh, this is going to be tough. 23 kids in an echoey side hall and then two days before the party Ben he, he says, can you come to He says, Oh, he says, there's a new boy and I'm like, well, it's a shame he missed the invitation, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so any, any, Ben says, I, I want to invite him and, and I said, well, what's his name? He says, I don't know his name and, and Judy says, well who is he? And he says I don't know. He says, but there's a new boy. And we thought, well, we don't know his parents, we don't know his name, so it, we do what you do in that situation. And uh, Julie wrote a letter to the primary school teacher concerned and said, please would you help us organise our son's social life? <laughs> Could you please pass this note on to the parents of this unknown child who apparently has joined your class and invite him to Ben's birthday party? And, and the teacher was good enough to oblige. And so this, this child came along to the party and and uh, Julie got chatting to the dad, and um, Julie said, "Yeah, so how how come your child joined the class later in the year? You know, have you just moved in?" He said, "He said, oh no," he said, "It's not that." He said, "He said it's just we, we had to move in from another school because he was getting picked on, and uh, he, he he just needed to find some better friends. So he said, it's just great to be here." He said, "And thanks for inviting him to Ben's party." And I was just like all over that. I said, well, it was just a small thing to do, really. <laughs> you know, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't invite a child to somebody's birthday party? And, and... But it, it, was a, it was a tiny thing. Tiny things speak big at Christmas time, don't they? It's amazing when you just invite somebody and you think it's a small thing. But small things are powerful. And God invites us into his world at Christmas time. You know, sometimes we have good reasons why we choose not to include others in our world. And one of those reasons is this, we just feel a bit inadequate. We feel like, you know what, I'm not the most sparkling personality. I don't have the finest cooking skills to invite people around. I don't have the nicest home or the tidiest home. And we disqualify ourselves from showing this very basic Christian thing of hospitality. We say, well... I'm not sure that's my thing. But I want to draw your attention to 2,000 years ago of those angels inviting some shepherds to something that wasn't altogether brilliant. It was a stable, probably. It was probably cold. There probably wasn't an awful lot of hospitality going on. But what there was in abundance was Jesus, the love of Jesus, at the very heart of that party. You know, if you're a Christian, then God, Jesus lives in you. And that's the most wonderful love of all. It's the most attractive thing of all. And No matter what things you feel disqualify you, this Christmas, invite somebody into your life and share the love of God with them. Here's another reason why we sometimes don't include others. We can feel overwhelmed. Do you ever feel that sometimes? You think, I'm just trying to keep up with all the other people I'm trying to be friends with here. And I just, I just can't cope with any more. Do you ever feel that? Yeah, one or two nervous laughs there, yeah. And I think the reason we feel that way, if you do feel that way, is because I think we, we put a wrong standard on what friendship is. We have this ideal of what we think it should be. And therefore, we feel like if we're not spending those two hours a week with that person, or if we can't anticipate doing that, then somehow it's not true friendship. Somehow it's not authentic. I don't think that's true. Friendship is all about heart. And if you're waiting for a time in your life when you'll have another two hours of your week free so that you can invest in a new relationship, then that could take a long time to come. See, these shepherds, they didn't become close allies and friends of Jesus to our knowledge. They didn't become part of the group of 12 disciples that Jesus chose later in his life. They certainly didn't become part of the three that he particularly hung out with, Peter, James and John. He didn't go around their house. Jesus liked to go around other people's houses sometimes. He liked to hang out with a trio called Mary, Martha and Lazarus. And sometimes he'd shut the doors on everybody else and he'd just go and hang out with those people because he just liked to have circles of friendship. And we don't know how often he did that. I, I dare say it wasn't terribly often. Friendship is a very broad thing and... It's helpful for us to think about circles of friendship that we have, and they're not all the same, and the expectation isn't always the same. Jesus was popular with thousands of people, yet I dare say he didn't go to most of their weddings or most of their funerals. Yet there were certain funerals, like Lazarus's, where he was dearly missed because he wasn't there. And Martha was slightly cross. She said, Jesus, you should have been here. There's an expectation. Some friendships carry expectation. Some have less. Broaden your friendship circle as far as it will go I don't know what you do when you go to the supermarket but I don't know. I like to scan the checkouts on the way out when I've got my shopping and I tend to look for the same guy that I like chatting to every time Have you ever done that I don't just want to go for the shortest queue anymore although that's sometimes necessary but sometimes I just I think, actually, he's quite good fun. I quite like chatting to that guy. So I'll queue up and I'll wait for him and we'll have a, have a bit of a chat. Now, I can't say that we're going to be lifelong buddies or that I'm going to go to his wedding or his funeral. Probably not. In fact, if he changed job and went to another supermarket, I probably wouldn't follow him because that would be strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just thought you were great company, so I came to your supermarket. Of course not. You You wouldn't do that. But... We're living in worlds where we value relationships wherever we can. And we're to be those sorts of people. And when you put a value on a relationship, it gives God the opportunity to deepen it over time. There are some times when we have opportunity just to be a short-term friend to people. And that's so important. We read in the Christmas story that when, after Jesus was born... At some point in those early months of his life, that King Herod declared that every child around Bethlehem, every two-year-old boy and under, should be killed because he felt threatened by the prospect of a new king. And it caused a small refugee situation where, where people moved out of Bethlehem and its vicinity and they started fleeing to neighboring countries like Egypt. And Jesus and Mary and Joseph, they fled to Egypt for those few months. And we don't know anything about that time other than this is that they returned They came back. That Clearly when they crossed that border, somebody looked after them. Somebody cared for them. Somebody gave them a helping hand and said, well, we could just help you here a bit and and send them on their way when the time was come for them to go back. We're living in a city where refugees are arriving at the moment, just a few families, but perhaps God will give us opportunity to be a blessing and to care for them. Sometimes God will give you friendships where it's just for a few months or a couple of years, and that person you don't get to see again, but it's been a valuable and important friendship role that you've played. Here's the third value of friendship we see in the Bible. True friendship comes at great cost. Jesus said, "'Greater love has no man than this. He lays down his life for his friends.'" But what we read in these verses we read today is is just the very earthy nature of friendship. You read about a betrothed couple, an engaged couple, Joseph and Mary. And although there was a legal status in that culture attached to being engaged, there was clearly a point at which Joseph was making a decision as to whether he continued in this relationship or not. Because Joseph... When he heard the news, when Mary came to him with a story saying, well, I've got a baby inside me and it's not yours, it's God's. And he didn't really buy it. He didn't believe it. He didn't think that was possible or true. He was utterly confused. He felt let down, no doubt. Yet, we know in that story that he showed two excellent friendship qualities. The first was this, discretion. You know, when a friend hurts you, the perhaps the first thing you want to do is to to blab it out to somebody or put it on social media or or, or to, to tell the world to justify your anger well it says Joseph had in mind to divorce her quietly he said I'm not going to make a big deal of this discretion is to be prized in a friendship when somebody confides in you don't be that person who gets so excited about it that you have to tell someone Here's the second quality that Joseph showed in that situation that after he got some time with God he made a decision to stick with Mary even though he was hurt even though he was confused even though no doubt all his friends and family were advising him to take a different course of action Joseph took this view he said you know what I'm going to put my rights second I'm going to be the best dad I can be to this child who isn't mine. He was a friend. He was a friend to Mary. He was a friend to Jesus. True friendship comes at great cost. Jesus ultimately paid the great cost for our sin by coming to earth and dying a sinner's death on a cross. Here's the fourth part of true friendship. True friendship follows even at a distance there was a guy called Simeon who was an old man and he'd been reading his Bible and in his heart he'd been following the progress of Jesus for years so when Jesus gets, comes into the temple and his parents are going to dedicate him they're going to, to, to circumcise him he walks into the temple and he grabs that baby and he says yes yes I know all about you. Jesus isn't a stranger to him. Do you know, you can, friendship is to actually follow at a distance sometimes. We can feel that that can be a little bit inauthentic. We can feel like, well, surely friends are those people that we see every day and on the phone to a lot. But do you know, sometimes friendship is to actually just take an interest, even though you don't see a lot of the person. And when you do see them, it's to actually give them the biggest squeeze you can and say, I've been thinking about you a lot. Today, social media allows us to follow at a distance, and that's a wonderful blessing. I've got so many people who I was probably strong friends with in previous seasons of life, shared a lot of life with, and and now I, I find myself incapacitated to the point where I'm just liking all their statuses on Facebook all of the time. I'm just saying, yeah, I just like them. I'm just cheering them on in whatever they're doing. True friendship follows even at a distance. You know, even what we do with our money demonstrates that. We can follow causes. We can follow people at a distance. We don't even get to know who they are half the time when we give our money. We'll be taking an offering at the carol service this year for people that you will never meet, probably, for the work of the homeless and, and refugees here in Edinburgh. Jesus told one of his most confusing parables one time. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's called the, the Parable of the Unjust Steward. And it's really confusing because you read it again and you read it again, you read reading again and you think, oh, I just don't understand what it means. And l- let me retell the parable for you today using just some more modern terms of reference to help you try and understand what it says it's in Luke chapter 16 and really it's the story of a second-hand car dealer and this second-hand car dealer he's a terrible employee he works for a garage and he sells no cars and he makes no effort he sees customers wander onto the forecourt and they say can we have some help here please and he says no busy He doesn't sell a single car in six months and finally his boss comes in one day and he looks at his sales report and he says, well, something's got to be done here. He says, tomorrow morning I want you in my office at nine o'clock. There are going to be consequences for this. And this man, he he senses he's going to get fired. He just knows that's going to happen at nine o'clock the next morning. So he looks out the window and he sees a guy eyeing up a, a BMW outside. And he says, "Right, I've just got a couple of hours of work left." So he goes outside and he says, "Hey, do you fancy this car, sir?" The guy says, "Yeah." He says, "If you can write me a check for hundred pounds now, you can drive this away off the forecourt." The guy says, "Deal." And he does it two or three more times. He just sells the cars at total rip-off, uh, at total low prices to actually get rid of them. And the, the next morning, the, the the boss comes in nine o'clock. He says, "Well, you are totally fired. You get out of here." And the guy wanders with his head low off the forecourt. And he thinks, what am I going to do with my life now? And somebody beeps their horn. And it's the BMW owner. He says, hey, do you fancy a lift?" <laughs> and Jesus says, that the point of the story is this. that He says, he knew what it was to use his money to, to gain friends for himself. He knew what it was. He said, he said, don't be like that guy. Don't be a crook who rips people off. But use your money to make friends. And here's the punchline of the story. It says, uh, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The point of the story seems to be this, that when as Christians we make good choices with our money that help other people, whether we meet those people or not, when we get to eternity, when we get to glory, there'll be people with a hand outstretched to us saying, just wanted to shake your hand. And you're like, well, who are you? They're saying, that gift you gave, that money you invested, made a difference for me. Thanks for your friendship. And you're saying, I didn't even know you were a friend. You can be a friend from a distance. Friendship initiates. Friendship includes. Friendship costs dearly. Friendship follows at a distance. And what we see about the very heart of God is this, that he is all of those things, that he followed yours and my progress, even from our mother's womb, even when we were far away from him. He followed the costliest path to laying down his life for us. He included you and me in his plan to save anyone who calls on his name. He initiates right now in calling us into relationship with him. And today there's a hand of friendship extended to you and to me. Jesus offers friendship that's beyond the quality of anything this world can give. Human friends may let us down. Maybe today you've come in here and you feel let down by situations or people that you've held dear. But that scripture we read at the beginning says this, that one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, you're to pick your friends carefully. Some friends will take you off track. Some friends will bring you back on track. But the Bible's advice to you today is this. Make sure you have this friend in your life. Make sure you have the one that sticks closer than a brother even ever will. Jesus is such a friend. Jesus is a friend who's patiently waiting for you and I, who's constantly there, a companion who never let us go, who'll never disappoint us. Whilst we hear of these depictions of what friendship is, and we think, oh, I wish I could be a better friend, and perhaps this Christmas he will, then we're also to be drawn to the fact that there's a friend who is perfect and who is wonderful. There's one hymn writer, but it said, he walks with me and he talks with me, a long life's this away. There's a friend who is there for you. And in Revelation chapter three, we read this scripture. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, this is the friendship that's on offer for you and I today. That it was depicted by this famous painting, a guy called Holman Hunt, he was a pre-Raphaelite artist, this painting hangs in St Paul's Cathedral in London and as he meditated on that verse and thought about it, that's Jesus speaking, saying I stand at the door and knock, he drew this picture he painted this painting rather he said this is it and people over the generations, over ages have looked at this painting and, and, and found those very words of Jesus echoed in that painting. And Jesus is there. He's depicted as having suffered. He's the light of the world. He's holding that lamp. He's, he's there having suffered. He's got the crown of thorns on his head. And he's knocking on the door of a human heart, which is overgrown by weeds because that door has not been opened for a long time. I remember showing this picture to my son Ben one bedtime a few weeks ago. And, and I said, oh look, Ben, have you noticed that there's no handle on the door? I said, how's Jesus going to get in? And Ben kind of looked at the picture and he looked at me and he said, well, he's going to have to go around the back, isn't he? But You see, Jesus doesn't go around the back. Jesus will never force his way into your life or mine because he's a friend. He just patiently knocks on the door. He's not rude. He's knocking on the door with no handle because the handle is on the inside. It's for you and me to open that door. And I've got to tell you, there's no friend like Jesus. When you let him into your life, he comes and eats with you. It's the closest sign of companionship you can have to eat with somebody, to say we're good, we're in relationship. And Jesus says, I'll come and do that in your life. I won't just stand on the outside, I'll come to the inside. And where the story begins is not where it ends. You see, when this baby Jesus came into the world, God said, you're to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, the the problem with a baby is this, if I can say this, that the question is, well, are we going to outgrow him or is he going to outgrow us? Is he always going to be there for us? Is he going to stay? Is he going to die? Is, he, is he one day he not going to be there? The disciples faced that issue one day when, when Jesus died and returned to heaven. They said, well, is he there for us? But this is the name of Jesus to us. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, God with us. Emmanuel, we we, we get from that same root word, we get words like imminent, meaning always there, just there, there. He's closer than your skin. He's Emmanuel, he's a friend who will never let you go. He's he's a friend who's closer than a brother. He's Emmanuel. And Emmanuel today is knocking on the door of your heart and mine, and he's saying, Do you want me in? Do you want me in? Maybe you've been a Christian for years, but you've been recently just pushing him away. And Jesus is still there, and he's saying, I'm still here. Do you want me in your life? So we wrap things up here. I'd love for you to just experience Emmanuel today. The friendship with God that will never let you down. And as Peter said in that word earlier on, sometimes we, we just struggle to know what God is thinking or feeling about us. And one of the descriptions given to God in one of the minor prophets in the Bible, a guy called Zephaniah, it says this about God. It says, The Lord your God's in your midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you by his love. He'll exalt over you with loud singing. And it might surprise you to know that the thing God is doing over you right now is delighting in you, even singing over you. Some of you have never had a song sung over you, and just in these closing moments, I, I'm gonna, we're going to play a really well-known secular song, but it's all about friendship, and as we do this, I'd love for you to just hear God singing this over your life, singing of his friendship for you, his faithfulness, his perfection that will never let you down. So maybe we could play the music and You can either bow your heads and think or you can look at me and we can be embarrassed together or whatever you want to do. But let's uh, listen to the song.